Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. Our catechesis will continue in the Gospel according to St. John, today with the woman caught in adultery. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, our memory verse for this week, we say it together. My words shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, verse 11. All right, key verse. Um, Yes, God's uh, word, when it speaks, um, think here, I think Isaiah has in mind creation, right? Is that the world was formless and void, right? And then God spoke and things brought into being, accomplished what he pleased, and it prospered in the thing for which he sent it, right? Um, Despite the fallenness of creation, despite the inadequacies of ourselves, of the institutions um, that we've inherited here, when God speaks... His word does what it says. So when God says, let there be a church, there's a church. When God says, um, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're baptized, right? No, maybe, if, kind of, sometimes. No, you are, right? He says, I forgive you your sins. Your sins are forgiven you, right? He says, go and sin no more. The work of sanctification, working by the Spirit, through that forgiveness, is accomplished, right? If anything gets in the way of that, it's not God's word's fault. It's our own fault. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in a glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Um, One thing I wanted to note here is this expression about the two-edged sword in their hand, right? In the Old Testament, we we definitely see God send forth his people um, armed uh, for battle, right? And they do physical earthly battle, right? Now, in the New Testament church, I think the psalm is understood a little bit differently because You know, as the apostle teaches us, God's word is a sharp two-edged sword cutting to the division of bone and marrow, right? So now, how does 
the high, the high praises of God in their throats, that's of course God's word. The two-edged sword in their hands, that's also being armed with God's word, right? And God's word is what brings vengeance on the nations, punishments on the peoples, binds the kings with chains and nobles with fetters of iron, right? There's no better um, disinfectant than light. There's no better um, antidote to falsehood than to speak the truth, right? And um, this is why my critique of um, the fog of war is that um, if you're only listening to trusted quote-unquote news sources, for example, um, to make your assessment as to what's happening, you probably um, you're probably falling for um, deceit and for injustice, and you're doing the will of the nations and the the kings and the nobles, right? Or we would call it the uh, aristocracy the aristocrats, right? The oligarchs. Hmm? Better to listen to those people on the ground, perhaps, although <laughs> that's also not always trustworthy, right? Um, and maybe maybe just a healthy dose of skepticism, but also maybe confess in the face of what we see, what God's word actually says about warfare, about kings, about nations, about um, greed, about wealth, about um, those who seek to sit on thrones, etc. Yeah, there are no trusts. There is no trust, right? Uh, no, the only one that you can trust in truly is God, right? Uh, apart from him, everyone else has to earn your trust, right? And that trust can be broken as well, right? It's not a trust without limit. Um, I heard an interesting expression yesterday, and again, it's connected to this. How, how does the Christian engage um, in warfare, so to speak, with nations and kings and um, nobles, Right? Well, here it's with their with the word in the New Testament, right? By speaking against, speaking towards, speaking, rebuking them, calling them to repentance, etc. Um, I heard an interesting expression yesterday. Um, you always end up picking a side, right? I mean, that's I guess it's one truism in the world. There's always sides, and you and you end up having to kind of choose a side. Um, but the argument was never to be a hard partisan, right? Never to pick one side and and but be unwilling to change, right? Um, so, for example, we've seen this uh, quite a bit here, um, you know, post-COVID or during COVID, is that you've seen people who maybe for one reason or another were aligned with one side, so to speak, um, but then due to the excesses of authority, misuse of authority, really, um, they may have switched sides and found that their allegiances have have changed. Well, that's reasonable, actually. Um you know, I, I would support one political party because of their stance on abortion. And, um, well, that's about it, actually. <laughs> because the rest of their policies don't always seem to really be all that interested in supporting uh, the work of the church, supporting, um, you know, families, uh, encouraging you know, the welfare of, of our nation, etc. Uh, that doesn't, that seems to be consistent between both parties, at least in our country. So, um, never be a hard partisan, but sometimes you do have to pick a side, right? And if you're going to pick a side right now, obviously stand on the side of of people um, who are suffering at the hands of their leaders, right? Who are engaged in warfare or defensive action, um, and call them to repentance, pray for them, etc. All right. Our first reading for today, which will interact well with our our reading for catechesis, is from um, Psalm. 36, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, 
when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He ceases to be wise and to do good, and he devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink to drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen, they have been cast down, and are unable to rise. All right, this is really a, a key text for us. Why? Because it combines two things. Combines, uh, where is this? Right there in verse 9. The fountain of life, and in your light we see light. All right? Uh, because Jesus combines those two, <laughs> especially in John's gospel. All right? But we also see the judgment against those who make accusation of sin but refuse to confess their own, All right, which is also key. Then our gospel reading, uh, reading for catechesis, is from John chapter 7 and 8. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So, when they had continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke uh, to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Okay, lots to consider here, actually. It's a rich reading. Uh, Before we do that, I have a question here in the chat. Failure to do what I feel is right is where I quit one side or the other. Likely, it's like uh, a teeter-totter. Yeah, yeah, and I think... Um, this would be my encouragement again, you know, with that con- conversation about the psalm, Psalm 149, um, is be careful about pu- choosing a side. I, I'm not always saying you can, you can't always remain neutral, um, but for example, it would go like this: um, you know, loving your country doesn't mean you love everyone who rules in your country, or that you love every idea that your country promotes, or every law that it has enshrined. You know, for example, 
I love the nation that I've received. Um, I seek to preserve it, right? Because I don't know if something better would replace it. But at the same time, um, I constantly pray against um, our leaders and those in authority who have made legal the killing of children in the womb. No? So you can do both things at the same time. Um, I'm not against them in their leadership role, so to speak, but I am against um, their promotion of um, this godless, um, well, really demonic um, transgression against the fifth commandment, right? So am I picking a side of my anti-American for doing that? Well, that's what they would have you think, right? Is that you're all or nothing. Um, the same thing has, happens, again, in these parties, right? Is that they say, well, if you are, you know, um, I don't know, we'll pick on a party. If you're a Democrat, then that means X, Y, and Z. So there's all the party platforms. But there's no place for you if you don't agree with one of those positions. Well, how does that make any sense? Um, how often are you going to get, you know, a whole group of people to agree on every point? And we can't even, just think of a Christian congregation. We can't even get the majority of the congregation to agree um, on what God's Word says, right? Well, it's not our job to. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit's job, for one thing. Um, nor should we expect that until the resurrection either, right? That there be purity of doctrine. It doesn't mean we don't pray for it, and we don't long for it, and we don't work towards it, right? But to get it, um, it's not something you're going to see in this life. There's always going to be errors. There must be divisions among you, as the apostle says, right? And this happens in our world too. So um, beware of utopian idealism. <laughs> that's what I would say. Yeah, maybe quit all the sides. Stop playing sides. That's another option. Um, and just stand with humanity and stand for everyone. Right. All right. There we go. And of course, stand against all those who oppose God and His Word. If you're going to pick a side, that's probably the best side to pick. How about that? <laughs> Speaking of, actually, that connects pretty well with our text here. All right. So, um, what is the significance of everyone going to his own house? Right? So, this is, remember, this is a, a festival, the fe Feast of Booze, right? And so, this is referring to those who live in Jerusalem and um, not those who are there as pilgrims for the feast. It's an eight-day feast. So, yesterday was the first day of the feast, the reading we had yesterday in chapter seven, right? And now, at the end of the day, what do they do? They take torches. They go um, back to their home. Um but here, it's said of Jesus, everyone went to his own house. But where did Jesus go? To the Mount of Olives. Now, that's curious, right? Yeah, because the Mount of Olives is where he's going to go after instituting the Lord's Supper, um, and, and that's where he was arrested, right? So, it's connecting this text, really, to that text at the end. John's Gospel is uh, interwoven with, with uh, really, mastery of storytelling, I think. Um. Another note there, right? Um, thinking of Jesus, there's a statement about um, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, right? In other words, he has no home. Um, we think of the hymn, I'm but a stranger here, heaven is my home, right? Which is really a confession of Christ, right? Um, yeah. And that, you know, it's not like he can dwell in the temple because he is the temple now in, in flesh. Um, he was rejected by men. You know, think of Isaiah 53. This is also an interesting statement on that on that basis. All right. Uh, what did he do early in the morning? Goes back to the, again to the temple to teach, right? And uh, remember, we talked about this yesterday, but it's worth re uh, reiterating today, is that uh, each morning at the feast was when, the, at this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, is a libation of water um, would, would be poured out on the altar and there would be a prayer for salvation from the Lord, right? So again, water, salvation. Huh? It's the same context. Um, he's teaching, they're listening, right? This is what he does in the temple. And then the scribes and Pharisees bring before him a woman caught in adultery, right? 
Um, adultery, of course, sixth commandment, should fear and love God so that we do not, um, so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in all that we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other, right? Um, so adultery uh, comes in many forms. <laughs> it's not always simply that you've um, had voluntary sexual relations with someone other than your spouse, although that's kind of the crudest and most basic definition of it, right? Um, but it's any way that you might break those vows of faithfulness, lo- loving or lifelong faithfulness um, that you made, right? Um, giving the physical, emotional, or spiritual devotion that rightly belongs to your spouse or to someone else, all right? Uh, what accusation did they make? Right? They caught her in the act, which of course begs all sorts of questions, doesn't it? How did they f- catch her? And then where? Also, where's the man? Um, because under the same accusation that they place her, he also deserves to die. All right. Now, this is the law of Moses, and the law of Moses um, in particular here. Well, maybe two will bring to bear. Deuteronomy twenty-two. This is the famous section, right? If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away e- the evil from Israel. Right? If a young woman who is a virgin and is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring both of them out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. All right. Now, by the way, this still applies to the Christian church. Really? Yes, it does. You read the New Testament, and Paul, uh, particular, I, I suppose 1 Corinthians would be a great example, where um, gross outward sexual sin within the Christian congregation, Paul says, is destructive of the congregation because it's done in the body, and it's done against the body that is the body of Christ. So Paul has the same kind of conception in mind there in the New Testament, um, and he's right. It is destructive to the church. I've seen this personally um, in multiple settings, right, where adultery was allowed to persist in uh, various forms. And it, and it was like a cancer that infected the congregation, all right, uh, and brought great, um, well, scandal, really, against uh, Jesus and against his word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, she and the man should be stoned, Deuteronomy 22, verses 22 to 24. Um, listen to Leviticus 10, or 20, then, as well. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death, all right? So it's very clear. Now, why would why would God set up such, uh, yes, even if they got caught kissing, this is true. Um, why would God set up such strict demands upon his people, right? Why, was, why does he care so much about marriage and fidelity in marriage? That's the building block of all society, right? And the promise of the Savior has been attached to childbearing, namely to, to family, right? So uh, the promise of Jesus is attached uh, to the family and to fidelity, So you see this play out very explicitly with Mary and Joseph, right? And Joseph seeks to put her away quietly. He's a just man, right? But the angel says, no, keep her, right? Um, So we see uh, actually a kind of forgiveness, really, right? A big forgiveness, really, of Mary. It's not her fault, right? But um, Joseph bears the shame that Mary will have, um, as well as the shame that Jesus will have, right? Having been conceived um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not, not within uh, a traditional marriage. Okay. Uh, there's a question. Even if they got caught kissing, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, physical, emotional, or spiritual devotion that rightly belongs to your spouse or to someone else. Um, kissing's a little bit different in their context. I, in our context, yes. In their context, uh, people kissed is just like the way we shake hands, actually. So, no, I, this is obviously um, ongoing, regular 
uh, marital infidelity. Yeah. All right. Um, so God preserves his people. He preserves his nation. He, and that's why he preserves marriage, by the way of the law. All right. Now, all of this is interesting, right? Because did they really bring this woman before her um, to have the just punishment of sin be cast upon her? No, John tells us explicitly, right? They were doing this actually just to try to catch him um, in a lie or some going against God's word, his own word, really. <laughs> All right. So um, they once said something to accuse him of. And instead, what does he do? He ignores them, right? He stoops down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. All right. Um, now, this should remind us of our Old Testament reading from Sunday. The kids remembered, right, about the serpent. We should crawl on his belly, and then he would eat dust, right? They remembered that. Um, they also remembered, uh, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Genesis 3, verse 19, All right? So he's writing in the dust there. Um, you might also think of uh, Exodus 31. It was a long reading. I don't know if I want to do the whole thing here, um, right? But uh, <clears throat> the golden calf incident in particular, right? When he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Remember that? But then, um, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to them, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, do not know what has become of him. Right? So we have that writing with the finger of God upon the tablets, and then right immediately thereafter, we hear about the people's rebellion against Moses and God's word, right? Um, so think of this then. I'll skip towards the end here. The Lord said to Moses, Who have, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, nevertheless, go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. All right. Um, so they were made of dust of the ground, these these who tried to bring accusation, right? They too, this is what Jesus, I think, is trying to communicate here by writing on the ground. They too have broken the very law that they were using to condemn the woman, right? Go back and think of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Whoever lusts in his heart has already committed adultery, right? Jesus says. So the law just as much sentenced them to death and to return to dust as it does her, right? I, I joked with the kids about pointing your finger at someone in accusation. You have all the fingers pointing back at yourself, or Jesus, right, with the speck in your eye when you're, or your brother's speck in his eye when you have a stick in your own eye. Yeah. All right. Now, again, remember, we're at the Feast of the Tabernacles. We have the libation of water for salvation. We have the people crying out for forgiveness. And what are the scribes and Pharisees all hung up on? Accusation, law, condemnation. Right. So when Jesus says, you know, you've taken my house and turned it into a den of robbers, this is what he's talking about. You're robbing people of the gift of salvation, not just of their money or their wealth, but of salvation, right? You've turned it into a place of law, a law, but the law was given to direct people to the temple for forgiveness. That's what it's for. See the same thing play out with Judas, right? And he goes to the, to the Pharisees for forgiveness and they refuse to forgive him. And then um, his conscience is so burdened that he kills himself, right? So here the Pharisees are unwilling to declare the forgiveness, which is why the people are there for the feast. <laughs> All right, so they keep asking him, of course, about the sinful woman's punishment. So what does he say? How does he respond? Yeah, the one without sin should cast the first stone. You've heard that expression before. 
right? Be careful about ac- accusing people. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, you see this frequently in the Proverbs as well, right? Uh, so a wise man, that is one who um, is in, who lives a life of confession and absolution, um, can rebuke another. Whereas one who lives um, content or complacent in their own sin has no b- business actually accusing others, right? Because they're not going to lead the, lead the other to forgiveness. That's the key here, right? If you're going to bring this accusation against the woman, how about you actually um, seek her repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that New Testament gift? Mm-hmm. What's the importance then of not of his not hearing, of Jesus ignoring these men, right? It goes back to writing on the ground again, verse 8. Yeah, Jesus does turn um, a deaf ear to their cries for mercy because they would not hear him, right? So he's, he, there's no forgiveness for them because they refuse to repent. Um, Chris asks, why should we not point fingers? I don't know where I heard this, but if you point the finger at someone, remember there's three fingers pointing back at yourself. Yeah, you see? So again, it's that teaching of uh, when you accuse others, be careful because it, it, it has like a whiplash effect or a boomerang, right? The accusation can come back against you, especially if it's a false accusation or it's one based on a lie or, or you're, you, um, you've been deceived, right? And of course, if you're not being given um, to judge, then don't judge, right? I mean, parents obviously judge the ch- action of their children, but they can't judge the action of other people's children unless they've been called to like another role of teacher or caregiver or something like that, right? So stay in your lane, if you like, <laughs> within your vocation. Um, all right, but notice what happens. He writes on the ground, and they their reaction this time is their conscience is convicted, right? And then the only people remaining, I mean, they actually left the temple. Isn't that incredible? Or at least left that area is um, the woman and Jesus. Uh, what did Jesus ask the woman? <laughs> I, I love how he just, he's so playful, right? Where are those accusers of your, yours? Has no one condemned you? I mean, this is a serious matter, but Jesus, uh, you know, he's like uh, Aslan in the Prince Caspian, right? Where he's taking Reepicheep, I think, the mouse, right? And he's just tossing him back and forth. He's a lion, right? Aslan, and he's tossing him back and forth between his hands playfully. And uh, Lewis tells us that, you know, Aslan is playing with him, but Reepicheep is terrified, right? <laughs> so it's kind of that. Yeah. Where are all those who condemned you? Hmm. No, none of them, right? When she responded, no one, what does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you, right? Go and sin no more. That's an additional word. Word. Uh, in other words, live in the forgiveness of sins, right? Repentance for this repentance for the sake of forgiveness actually changes you. I said this in a sermon maybe two weeks ago now, right? Is that it changes the way you see yourself, the way, the way you see your neighbor, right? You forgive others. Uh, it actually, it changes relationships. It changes um, your attitude, right? And it also changes your um, thoughts about sin, about the sin that you committed, right? Now, not only do you see it as a sin, but you also have a way out. Jesus provided the, the means of escape, right? Which is to confess and be forgiven, Always, even if you commit the sin again, repent for the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus is teaching here, right? And you can see it because it comes right in the next verse. I am the light of the world, right? What does he promise to those who follow him? The light of life, right? This is all bound up in the feast. Remember, I showed you the Psalm, Psalm um, 36, right? Where you had light and light, the fountain water of life put together here, verse 9. So here, right? We have this feast. Jesus is the great light that illuminates not only the temple and Jerusalem, but the entire world. 
His light is the forgiveness of sins that brings life to all those who hear and believe his words. And I've told you this before, but it's the thing I love about Rembrandt, especially Rembrandt when he paints um, these stories from John, because he totally gets it, right? Uh, maybe I can make that even bigger for you. Hold on. Let's do that. All right, so there we go. And I'll show you the desktop. Come over here. All right, so there it is. So what I love about Rembrandt, right? You can see that nice and big, I hope now. Right, you see how he uses light and how he creates this spotlight on Jesus and the woman, right? She's the main character, right? You can see she's repentant, uh, and Jesus is shining the light of forgiveness upon him. But look at everybody else. They're all paying attention to whatever's happening up here, right? All the others, even those who are accusing her, are in darkness. You see, they're all in the shadows and kind of formless. But here's Jesus, clearly defined, and the woman, spotlighted. Isn't that beautiful? All right. Um, let's see. Meditation then. John had pointed to Jesus as the source of grace and truth instead of the law's condemnations. The Pharisees came with the full condemnation of the law and seek the destruction of the woman. They have forgotten the gracious and merciful God of their ancestors. Though they had been made to drink the bitter water of their own God, the Lord had preserved them as a nation and led them through the waters of the Jordan into the promised land after the years in the wilderness. He had sent them into exile, but returned them to draw from the waters of salvation. Jesus brings the good news of God's gracious forgiveness for repentant sinners. He rescues men out of the darkness of death and calls them to stand before God in the light of the true temple. The woman remains in the presence of the light of the world, for she has been rescued from death to life. Jesus has revealed to her the love that is not based on her works, but on the works of the word made flesh. All right. So she remains in the light. Uh, it's a great talking head song. It's called Remain in the Light. It's actually the name of the album too. <laughs> All right, very good. Let's confess our catechism for this week. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. We pray. O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray today for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We pray for the households of our church, especially this week with Sarah, Chelsea, Joan, Gary and Barb, Don and Jean, and Tara. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Bev, Kelsey, Amanda, Dan, Brad, Timothy, and Janice. Ken, Norm, Kathy, Jim, Mike, and Donna. Pray for our homebound, Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, and Paul. Pray for our mission of the month, Camp Luisimo. We pray in intercession for all our relatives, especially those outside the faith or held captive uh, to various demonic ideologies. We also pray for our benefactors, those who support uh, the work of this uh, ministry here and all of our Lord's ministries on earth. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn for the week. Tyrant from his head. 
heavenly perch on high, as the word of Jesus' victory floods the earth and fills the sky. Wounded by a wound eternal, know his judgment has drawn nigh. And your angel legions, when the forward of sins lay, hold us fast when sin assaults us home, then Lord your people say, Overthrow at last the dragon, send him to his fiery. All right, that's the uh, conclusion of our Congregation of Prayer today, a guide for daily meditation and prayer on God's Word. Come to you each morning at 9 a.m. Join us again tomorrow, Wednesday, at 9 a.m. Central. All right, and uh, let's see, make plans tomorrow night to come to our Lenten midweek service. We're going to have the uh, prayer service, actually, prayer of Vespers, Office of Vespers. It'll be an opportunity for private confession and absolution afterwards, um, so stick around for that if you're able or interested. And uh, but beforehand at six o'clock we have a meal, so that'll be lovely as well. All right. Um, so Lord be with you today. Enjoy this beautiful blue sky, sunny day, and we'll see you again tomorrow.